Good days and bad days, right? Victories and defeats. Mountaintop experiences. And there's times we have to walk through deep valleys. Hard things that we have to face and feel and deal with in life. And sometimes we think, you know what? If we could just eliminate the valleys of life, right? If we could just get rid of the hardship, then we would be happy, right? That's what somehow we think that, right? But the truth is that it's actually the valleys that teach us so much about who God is and who we are, and it refines our faith, and it refines our characters, and as we face them and walk through them, we learn so much that God is with us, and that He's working in the valley, and that He has great plans for us, and uh, we can choose to believe and just hold on and keep walking, uh, even through those dark valleys. And so here in Acts, the book of Acts, we're walking through the book of Acts, drawing out, attempting to draw out uh, the Spirit's message for our lives, uh, for our church. And uh, so far, we've seen incredible, a lot, some persecution, but in Acts chapter 8 through 11, really incredible victories. In Acts chapter 8, we see the Ethiopian eunuch uh, come to faith and be baptized into Christ, and we see the gospel spreading through Africa. In Acts chapter 9, we see a major player in the rest of the book of Acts, Saul, uh, persecuting the church, met Jesus and becomes one of the most uh, zealous advocates for the gospel that we see. Uh, incredible victory, amen? Acts chapter 10, we see Cornelius and the, the gospel being breaking into the Gentile world. And we see Cornelius and his family become disciples, and we see the gospel beginning to advance. And then Acts chapter 11, we talked about last week, um, concludes with this amazing missionary work in Antioch, and the church in Antioch begin to build, and literally hundreds and hundreds are becoming disciples. The Word of God is being taught. Leaders are being raised up. Barnabas goes and gets Saul, brings him to the church in Antioch, and they, they form this incredible partnership of, of leadership along with others. And chapter 13, we're going to see the, really the first missionary journey go out from Antioch. So there's been victory after victory, and yet here in Acts chapter 12, we see life hit the church hard. We see a valley. We see, and I appreciate Luke, how he doesn't just paint all the rose-colored scenarios of the first century church, because that's just not real. That's not life, right? Real life is, yeah, there's victories, but there is defeat, and there's hard times. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 12 an extremely difficult period for the church. We're going to see the church be violently opposed, and yet we're going to see how the church responds to that. We're going to take some lessons in faith about how does God respond, how do we respond when the going gets tough. Um, we're going to see the, the destructive power of Herod versus the saving power of God. So we have a big battle in front of us, the destructive power of Herod, King Herod, versus the saving power of God. And I bet you, you can probably uh, guess who's going to come out on top, right? Uh, well, you're right, but we're going to see this play out, okay? Acts chapter 12, 
verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, and him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. The first part section here is Herod's plot. Herod's plot, verses 1 through 4. Then we're going to get into Herod's defeat in verse 5 through 19. And then we're going to finish with Herod's death in 20 through 24. But let's talk about Herod's plot. So this is King Herod Agrippa the first. He is the grandson of Herod the Great and the nephew of Herod Antipas, who tried Jesus. If you remember, Jesus went to trial before Herod. This was Herod Antipas. This was Herod the, um, Agrippa's uncle. Okay, So Herod Agrippa here had heard of Jesus, no doubt. Okay, um, So here it says that he had James. So remember James and John, right? We're two, two of the apostles. And I want us to look back over to Mark chapter 10. So he rested James and he had him put to death by the sword. Put to death. Stephen had already been put to death in Acts chapter 7. And now we see more violent opposition and persecution against the church. You know, in Mark chapter 10... Verse 35, I want to read this section because it reminds us of how Jesus uh, warned his followers that there's going to be hard times in life. Verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And that's initially a lot of how we approach God. Hey, God, I'd like a little uh, A on this test and raise at this job and... uh, uh, you know, spouse, uh, that's just perfect. So if you could line me up there, then I'll, uh, I'll really believe in you, okay? So, uh, James and John said, hey, we want the right and the left. We see you're a powerful leader and powerful teacher. And you're talking about your kingdom, and your kingdom's going to come, and we're going to take over the world, and you're going to be sitting on your throne in all power and glory. And, and uh, I'd like to see it on the right, but since I'm so kind and loving, my brother, he can sit there on the left, Right? That's their vision. That's their hope. And so often as young people or old people, that is our expectation about what life really should be like. But Jesus loves us, so he tells us the truth. Mm. He says, uh, okay, well, what do you want me to uh, do for you? He asked. Well, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory, Jesus, not ours. We, we attach all kinds of spirituality to what we really want. <laughs> you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink, be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant 
with James and John. Mostly, probably because they didn't think of it first. Jesus called them all together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man not, did not come to be served, but to serve, special note, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we think of serving, we think of, oh, sure, I'll hand out the communion tray. I'll come on the work day and break my back for this garden, you know, because I'm a servant. That's how I roll, you know. And uh, Jesus is like, yeah, I've got a special kind of service. It's called laying your life down, all of it, drinking the whole cup of suffering. Because we, we can handle a little bit, but once that cup gets a little too bitter, right, we're like, what? I thought God was in control. Where did he go? I thought that when I followed Jesus, my life was going to get better and easier. Right? See, we think we know how to handle suffering until the suffering comes. And then our flesh screams out. Not what I signed up for. Right? And Jesus is like, yep. You guys don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what you're asking for. You will drink the cup I drink. And so here James is drinking the cup that Jesus drank. He died for Jesus. He died for the church. He died for the gospel. He poured his life out. See, guys, there's a big difference between believing in a God and being a disciple who's willing to die for God. But Jesus said, if you're not willing to carry your cross... If you're not willing to pour yourself out, even unto death, it's like you can't even be a disciple. That's what he says. So how about us? How about us? Are we ready to count the costs of really making Jesus Lord and following him through thick and thin, or are we just in it for the health and wealth? We will be tested many times over in that. Amen? And uh, um, it's great already to hear Devin, 16-year-old young lady, She's experiencing, she's understanding. She's coming to the knowledge that, you know what, life can be hard. Life can be hard, but I'm not going to give up. God doesn't give up on me. I'm going to hold on to his hand, and I'm going to walk through the valley because there's purpose for it, and there's shaping in it, and there's grace filling us through it. Amen? So Peter, so here it says uh, uh, he, he killed James. And boy, this is so dark, and it's like, this really pleased the Jews. And so he's like, you know what? Pleased the Jews. I think I'll grab another one. Wow, the darkness. And so he seized Peter and imprisoned him. And uh, um, Herod was plotting. Now I want you to think about, you have two of your main leaders, all fledgling, still a church. Two of your main, James, Stephen got killed earlier. James now got killed. Peter's probably going to get killed in a few days. How would you feel, right? How would you feel? The bleak, hopeless, no possibility of escape. What could the little community of Jesus do against the armed might of Rome? It feels, do you ever have moments where you feel that hopelessness start to just 
eke out over your heart, where it's just the, the discouragement, and it's just like, and it starts to take over. That's, I think that's what these guys were doing. Before we move on, I want us to remind us, I want to remind us that Satan is a schemer. See, Herod had a plot. Satan has a plot. Forces of evil scheme, and they plot and have a plan. Jeremiah says, God has a plan for our lives. Uh, there's another one who has a plan for our lives, and he's a schemer. Psalm 26, verse 9, I want to read this before we move on. King David, uh, in his prayer life, worked through and understood the schemes of the forces of evil, but faith, his faith walked him through it. Verse, verse, Psalm 26, verse 9 says, Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. But I lead a blameless life. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great assembly, I will praise the Lord. You know what the answer to Satan's schemes are? Our feet standing on the rock. Our feet standing on level ground. Our feet standing on the word of God. Our hope in the redemption and the grace of God. Satan is going to scheme against your life. He has a scheme. He's got a target on your back. Uh, the question is, is, are you prepared? Are you seeing the scheme for what it is? Or are you buying into the scheme? The forces of evil, the power of the world to get you pulled away from God. Herod had a scheme and a plot. Satan has a scheme, but let's look at what the church does. Verse 5, Acts chapter 12. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So we have the power of Rome, the power of Herod, the scheme of evil, the forces of evil in their opposition against God and the church. And now you have the church fighting back with what kind of weapon? Let's go take them. Let's get our, let's get our uh, swords on and, and we're going we're gonna to just defeat them. We'll go rescue Peter. We'll beat those guards, right? Nope, that's not the, 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 the weapons that the people of God use. The weapon is prayer. So you got the power and the might of Rome versus the power of prayer and the power of God. I wonder what's going to happen. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Herod, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Oh, by the way, I want to I back up. Earnestly praying to God for him. Luke, who's writing here, the book of Acts, also wrote, wrote his uh, gospel, Luke, and uses this same word in Luke 22, verse 44, this word earnestly of Jesus. He says, in being in anguish, he, Jesus, prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. A lot of times, if you're anything like me, I can struggle with rope prayers. Check in, check out. Yeah, I pray today. Are you with me there? That's not the kind of prayers that Jesus was praying before going to the cross, right? Um, he prayed more earnestly, fervently, so much that he was sweating. Not just sweating sweat, but sweating blood. That's an intense prayer going on. How's our prayer life? Let's learn to pray like Jesus. All right. Um, so verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. 
bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Great detail is going into, hey, this is a rough spot. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about get up? That's a, that's a, that's a common message from the Spirit. Dude, get up. Let's go. <laughs> and I think we need to hear that a lot. Uh, I'm moving. You need to get up and get going with me. All right? Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angels said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. I can just see it, right? How, do, how are you when you're woke up from your sleep? Uh, okay, put your sandals on. Okay. <laughs> put your clothes on there, my friend. We're going to see the church. <laughs> I want to be inappropriate. Okay. Um, I just love it. Uh, wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. Come on. How's this gate going to open? We got a problem. No problem no more. Come on, Jesus. Love it. Uh, and they went through it. That's a good idea. See, when God opens a door, you better be walking through it. Don't be sitting around, why? hey, there's an open door. I wonder what's going to happen. Get up! Walk through it! When they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. I was like, okay, I think you got it now. You're awake. <laughs> then Peter came to himself. Uh, we all got to have moments like that, right? Where we, we come to ourselves and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So which, which is more powerful? The prayers of the saints or the armed forces of Rome? Yeah, it's not even close. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door! And Peter's like, ah, she'll come back. <laughs> um, you're out of your mind. See, this is often what happens when we respond in faith, and we're going to make a radical choice. And the people around us is like, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. I'm so glad that the prayers of God aren't dependent on the certain faith of the people of God, right? We can pray and we struggle in our faith, but guess who's faithful? God is faithful and cannot disown himself. It's not about our great faith. It's just have enough of faith. Just have a mustard seed enough of faith to at least pray. And wait. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, oh, it must be. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, 
and then he left for another place. This obviously is a different James. This, this James is the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, who at one point was mocking Jesus and calling Jesus out of his mind, had since become a disciple. Amen? And that encouraging news for all those, you may have felt some mocking or some ridicule about your faith and about your discipleship. Listen, don't turn and, and be hater on them. Just pray for them, right? They may come around someday, just like James, the brother of Jesus, did and was actually one of the key uh, and most influential leaders in the Jerusalem church. Uh, in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. See, when a prison guard loses one of the prisoners, they actually get a sentence that was made for that prisoner. So the guards were executed because Peter was going to be executed. This is why later on with the Philippian jailer, he was about to, he, was about, he wasn't just discouraged and is going to kill himself. He, he, it was a thing of honor to take the sword yourself because Paul, Paul and Silas had been set free, or Paul and Barnabas, right? And because he knew that that's what was going to come in and it was more honorable to do that. Um, okay, so Herod's defeat. The church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. Here we see the power of God. The light shone in the cell. The angel comes, wakes him up. The chains fall off. Specific instructions. They pass the guards. The gates open. See, when you start to just follow Jesus, just a little bit of step, you start to see the power of God now come into your life. The Spirit come in and strengthen you. You start to see doors open. You start to see things happen. Uh, that, are, that are just, there's no way, it's anything but the power of God. And yet we still struggle with disbelief. We still struggle with disbelief. You're out of your mind, right? Uh, um, I, I heard an old, old friend say this, believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. Believe your beliefs. You know, a few weeks ago I had to do one of the challenging things I've ever done as a minister. I had to go to Minneapolis and give a sermon where one of my best friends for my whole life, who has been a mentor of mine for 12 years, dining from his role in the Minneapolis church, and they asked me to come and give the, basically give, you know, read the resignation if he couldn't read it, which he ended up not being able to because he was so emotional. And so they asked the rock Joel. Uh-huh, so some of you are like, why are they laughing? Well, stick around, okay? You'll see blubbering in not too long, I'm sure. So it's like, you know, we're, can you come give the sermon? I'm like, man, I, preach it yourself, dude, you know? But I said, well, sure. But I was just struggling, like, man, what do I say? What do I say? The church needs a message from God at this moment, and I don't, I don't feel up to the task. I'm just, I'm just, I don't, you, do you ever feel that way? And uh, I told God, I said, God, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I can do this. How am I supposed to do this? And, and I heard this in the back of my, I think it was from God, but it was through one of my old mentors. Son, believe your beliefs. Doubt your doubts. 
I'm like, well, what do I believe about this? I do believe that God is in control. I believe that. I believe that God arranges the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he sees fit. I believe that. I believe that uh, uh, this situation is happening for a reason. I don't even know what it is totally, but I believe it. And I just went with the word of God. And I told the church, I was like, you're going to hear a lot of the word of God today and hopefully not too much of the words of Joel. And we just read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 and 12 and 13. And the whole message was from this, the, 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 the word of God. And I felt like God came through. Amen? Uh, uh, just know when you are doubting and struggling and you feel like I'm not enough. I can't be the husband called to be. I can't be the dad or the mom. I can't be. I don't know how to do this. I'm weak. I'm struggling. I'm discouraged. Know that the power of God will come through if you pray and walk by faith. Amen? Disbelief. All right, let's read on. Verse 20. What happens to Herod? Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now they joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Herod, setting him up against God, setting himself up against God, against the people of God, against the word of God, reaped what he sowed. Ultimately had the chance to give praise to God, to humble himself at the audacity of the people in their proclamation, right? This is the voice of a God and not a man. Do you remember what Peter did when Cornelius bowed before him? Remember what Peter immediately did? Whoa, st- dude, st- stand up. I'm, I'm only a man. I'm only a man, just like you. You know, we think like, man, God had kind of an overreaction here. Wait a second, though. Wait a second. Genesis 12, verse 3, from the very beginning of the formation of the people of God with Abram, said, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. We like to focus on the, the blessing and, the, and passing on the blessing, right? We focus on that. And that's a good thing. But wait a second. Wait a second. You don't mess with God. And you don't mess with God's people. Because if anyone's going to curse you, I will curse them. I will deal with those who set themselves up in deliberate defiance in opposition of the people of God. Look over in Romans chapter 12. See, we, 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 we're so used to the fuzzy-wuzzy God. The Krispy Kreme God, the grandpa God with, 
with a bushy white Santa Claus beard who says, come sit on my lap, me boy. And uh, um, uh, I don't even know where that came from. And just tell me what you want. Romans 12. And that is, that is God. There's a part of God that absolutely is that way. And we should approach God with great confidence, in deep security, in insurance, because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? And yet, we must never forget that God is a holy God. And we must approach Him also with a reverent fear. And matter of fact, it's the reverent fear that produces the deepest securities. In Romans 12, verse 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, I is mine to avenge. I will repay says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The disciples needed to stay in their lane. We pray. I bet you during that prayer, they were even praying for their enemies. They were praying for Herod. Right? God, please forgive him. He knows not what he does. Imitating Jesus. Imitating Stephen. Amen? That's the disciples' job peace, to bless your enemies, bless those who persecute you, not to take revenge. But he does say, revenge is mine. I will handle it. I am the judge. I will give people every opportunity to repent. And if they continue to refuse to repent over and over, there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day. And I think that story here in Acts reminds us while we must approach God with great and deep security and assurance, we must also approach Him and never lose our respect and our reverence and our fear for the power of God. I don't know about you, but when I read this story, i got to think about, well, whose side do I want to be on? Well, I want to be on the church's side or I want to be on Herod's side? Because for me and my household, we want to choose Jesus aside, all right? Uh, um, when we, if, if, uh, if we glorify ourselves instead of God, we will be humbled. We will be humbled. So are we humbling ourselves before God, or are we glorifying ourselves instead of God? It's one of the two. It's one of the two. Let's assess ourselves. I just want to read here um, from John Stott his conclusion to this section. Indeed, one cannot fail to admire the artistry with which Luke depicts the complete reversal of the church's situation. At the beginning of the chapter, Herod is on the rampage, arresting and persecuting church leaders. At the end, he is himself struck down and dies. The chapter opens with James dead, Peter in prison, and Herod triumphing. It closes with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing. Such is the power of God to overthrow hostile human plans and to establish his own in their place. Tyrants may be permitted for a time to boast and bluster, oppressing the church and hindering the spread of the gospel, but they will not last. In the end, their empire will be broken and their pride 
abased. Oh, come on, John. Preach it, brother, right? Amen. Um, I have another section, but we're going to not give it. Uh, we've given enough. Uh, destructive plots against the church versus the saving power of God. In time, the saving power of God is going to win. Whose power is winning in you this morning? Whose power is winning in us? The destructive power of the world or the saving power of God? Let's transform today from ordinary to emboldened through prayer, belief, and let's join God's power at work in and through us and not to us, never to us, be the glory, only to our job to continually humble ourselves and therefore give God all the glory. Amen, amen.